Welcome back to the Word Encounter, episode 225. Yesterday we finished the book of Acts, chapter 17, so let's pick it up in chapter 18. At the end of chapter 17, uh, Paul is telling the people of Athens that they worship, uh, that they're very religious people, that they worship a lot of gods. They even have a monument to the unknown God. And so Paul had explained to them who this unknown God is and that uh, Jesus is the way to him and that he is, in fact, the only God. And so it says uh, in verse 1, it says, founding the Corinthian church, he says, after this, uh, he left Athens and went to Corinth where he found a Jew named Aquila, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Now, it's suspected that there was an uprising going on in Rome because of the way, because of the gospel of Jesus. And so because of this disturbance, Claudius um, ordered all the Jews to leave. And it says, Paul came to them, and since they were of the same occupation, tent makers by trade. And so Aquila and Paul were uh, tent makers by uh, trade. It says Paul stayed with them and he worked. Now this is critical. Paul worked. Paul wasn't just going around and and just living off of the people. Paul worked. Even though Jesus says, you know, the worker is worth his wages. In other words, the ones who are out there spreading the gospel, people should be taking care of them. You know, those who are going out doing this shouldn't be looking for this to happen. They should be ready, willing, and able to work, and that's exactly what Paul did. Paul was in the mission field. He was out there, and he was working his uh, way through the mission field to pay his way. It says in verse 4, He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from um, Macedonia, Paul devoted himself to preaching the word and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. And so, you know, you've got this dual-fold ministry going on, right? So he's, he's, he's proclaiming to the Jews, and he's proclaiming to the Gentiles. And as we said yesterday, he uses different tactics with each, with each group because they're not going to be sensitive to the same things, you know? They, they're, they're from bif- uh, different backgrounds, different cultures, and whatnot. So he is, he is addressing those things as he's preaching the same word but in different ways to the different people groups. It says in verse 6, when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook, he shook out his clothes and told them, your blood is on your own hands. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So Paul is saying, look, I've tried to preach the word to you, but you know, you're not listening. So I'm going to shake my clothes off, uh, similar to shaking the dust off your sandals. And I'm going on. I'm moving on. And this is an example of us. You know, you don't try to browbeat people into the things of the Lord. You know, you preach the gospel. You try to tell them the good news. They don't want to hear it. You go on. You know, that's that. Sometimes we want to squat and we want to try to stuff things down people's throats. No, no, no. Verse seven. So he left there and went to the house of the man named of a man named Titus Justice, a worshiper of God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord along with his whole household. Many of the Corinthians, when they heard, believed and were baptized. So Paul was very effective in his ministry. In verse 9, it says, The Lord said to Paul in a night vision, Don't be afraid, but keep on speaking and don't be silent. Now, why would the Lord tell Paul, don't be afraid? A lot of times we look at people in the Bible as superhero um, biblical figures, you know. And as we've been going through this word encounter, I hope you're getting the idea that these people are human. You know, Peter was definitely human. The disciples, the apostles were definitely human. They had a lot of shortcomings and failings. And we see here, Paul isn't superhuman. 
the Lord was strengthening him because at moments he had to be afraid, you know, or else why would the Lord strengthen him? Why would he say, don't be afraid? It says, but keep on speaking. Don't be silent. So the Lord is confirming Paul. You're doing the right thing. Keep on going, brother. Keep on going. I'm with you. Verse 10, for I am with you. He says it right there. For I'm with you and no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you because I have many people in this city. So again, he's encouraging Paul. He's giving him some insight with regard to what's going on. So a lot of times we get out there and doing things, we don't know what we're doing, but then encouragement comes from these directions that we never would have looked from. And so he's saying, I've got people in this city, so just keep doing your thing. And it says, he, Paul, stayed there a year and a half, teaching the word of God among them. While Galileo was proconsul, just kind of like mayor, the Jews made a united attack against Paul and brought him to the tribunal. This man, they said, is persuading people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. As Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, if, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or of a serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you, Jews. See, Galileo was like the mayor, the proconsul, you know, judge, mayor, whatever. And so he's, but he's not a Jew. And so they're bringing, uh, um, uh, they're talking about Paul to Galileo. And he says, look, if, if, if this was a serious thing, uh, okay, but this isn't. But if these are questions about words, names, and your own law, see to it yourself. I refuse to be a judge of such things. So he's, he refuses to be a judge in their law. And not only that, he's incapable, right? Because he, he's not a Jew, so he's not familiar with their laws and dictates and, and this and other. So he drove them from the tribunal, and they all seized uh, Sosthenes, yeah, Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. So why did they take the leader of the synagogue? I mean, so they got rejected by the, 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 the city. The, the city government. They got rejected by the city government. So then they go to the leader of the synagogue and they beat him in front of the tribunal. Now, why would they do that? Apparently there was some, maybe he was sympathetic to Paul, you know, and they knew he was sympathetic to Paul. And so they were taking out their outrage on him. <clears throat> Don't know. It says, uh, the return, the return trip to Antioch in verse 18. After staying for some time, Paul said farewell to the brothers and sisters and sailed away to Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. And so this is interesting, right? So they, Priscilla and Aquila come from Rome, and then Paul meets them, and Paul starts working with them, and then they start going with Paul on his missionary trip. And it says, um, then they set sail from, then uh, he, Paul, set sail from Ephesus. On landing at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church, then went down to Antioch. And so Paul is traveling through this region uh, in the Middle East, and as he's traveling through, he's preaching and to, to, to Jews and Gentiles uh, with regard to the way, as they call it, or the gospel of Jesus. It says, the eloquent Apollos. Now a Jew named, uh, excuse me, now a Jew named Apollos a native Alexandrian, an eloquent man who was competent in the use of the scriptures, arrived in Ephesus. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately about Jesus, although he knew only John's baptism. See, he didn't know anything about Jesus' death, the resurrection or ascension or the gospel of Jesus. He didn't know any of that. All he knew was John's baptism, which was announcing the coming of the Lord. That's all he knew. 
And so it says he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. After Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they both uh, Priscilla and Aquila, husband and wife, man and woman, you know, because a lot of times people, you know, they don't want to hear things uh, uh, relative to the Bible because they think that women are degraded and this, that, and the other. But we see in the Word that women are very prominent in a lot of instances in the Word. It says, after Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God to him more accurately. And so he was giving an incomplete, although accurate, picture of Jesus as he was preaching the Word in the synagogue. And so they didn't try to correct him or fill out his, his, his sermon in front of everybody else in public. They took him aside. You know, and I can imagine they saying, yo, bro, you are right on the target, but there's some, there's some things you're missing. You need to know a little bit more. See, after Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God to him more accurately. When he wanted to cross over uh, to the other city, the brothers and sisters wrote to the disciples to welcome him. After he arrived, he was, uh, he was great help to those who by grace had believed. And, and let's, uh, so we're in verse 28 now. And so we're going to see <clears throat> uh, this is important to us. Verse 28, for he vigorously refuted the Jews in public. He being Apollos, he vigorously refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating through the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, see, he didn't know this part before Aquila and Priscilla took him aside. And so what we find in Apollos is a man who is very, very fervent in the things of the Lord. And so he took with what he took what he had and he went forward with it. And then when it was time for his knowledge to be made more complete, uh, Aquila and Priscilla came along, educated him more. Now he's even more fortified when he's going against the Jews in order uh, uh, to preach the word of God. And so we see here that we have a humble man because he was willing to be uh, imparted to. He was willing to be taught. He was willing to be educated. So we can assume that he was thirsty and hungry for the knowledge of God. Aquila and Priscilla come along and feed him, and then it just feeds his fuel. He's just, it, it sounds like he's even more vigorous in his, in, his, um, in his mission for the Lord, you see. And so we need to take lessons from Apollos here, in my opinion. And he took with what he had. He didn't have everything, but what he had he took, and he ran with it. And then he got more education as he went along, and he got more fervent and more fervent, and he was being confirmed. And he was not afraid. He was bold because he was coming against the Jews. Now, this is this is something critical uh, for us because we need to be able to defend our faith intelligently amongst nonbelievers, not to put them down, not to squash them, not to beat them in arguments or debates, but in order to demonstrate divine wisdom so that they might, in fact, consider the ways of the Lord. That's why we need to know. We need, we, we, we need to be grounded in the word. We need to know why we believe what we believe. We need to be able to explain it intelligently. Chapter 19, 12 disciples of John the Baptist. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions and came to Ephesus. 
He founded some, he found some disciples. He didn't found it. He found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, they told him. We haven't heard of such a thing. Into what then were you baptized? Uh, he asked. Into John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John baptized with, uh, John baptized with the baptism of repentance. John told them with regard to the need to repent from their sins. He says, telling people that they would believe, telling people that they should believe in the one who would come after him, that is Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul uh, had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began to speak in tongues and to prophesy. Now, this comes across, and I believe it's accurate, that uh, when you're baptized into the, uh, into the um, name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not just taking a bath, you're not just being dipped in water and come up, but what's being imparted into you in that process, okay, is the Holy Spirit, and uh, on the, uh, or in the Holy Spirit, you will find the ability to speak in tongues and to prophesy. Now, to prophesy is not... Some people think it's just to be able to speak about what's going to happen in the future. But it's for edification and encouragement. You know, when you prophesy accurately, you're edifying somebody, encouraging them in the way of the Lord. It's not necessarily just restricted to trying to predict things in the future. And then the speaking in tongues, like I said before in a different episode, this is very controversial within the church, and some people think that was done away with with the apostles. I don't think so, Okay. It says, when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, them being believers, you know, just regular believers, and they began to speak in tongues and to prophesy. In the lecture hall of Tyrannus, in verse 8, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly over a period of three months, arguing and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became hardened and would not believe, slandering the way, slandering Christians in front of the crowd, he withdrew from them, uh, taking the disciples and conducting discussions every day uh, in the lecture halls of Tyrannus. This went on for two years, so that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Gentiles, heard the word of the Lord. So it's saying here that all the people in, in Asia had the opportunity to choose the way of the Lord. You see, they, they obviously all didn't come, um, become believers, but they all heard the word and say so they all had the opportunity. Our job is to give people the opportunity. We can't make them choose the ways of the Lord. They have to do that in, uh, within themselves. But our job is to make sure everybody has the opportunity. Verse 11, God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands so that even face cloths and aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. <laughs> wow. So even if material just touched Paul's skin, when it touched somebody else who was ill, they got well. That's being full of the Spirit, full of the power of the Lord. Verse 13. Now some of the itinerant Jews, uh, exorcists, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists also attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, <laughs> I command you by the Jesus that Paul preaches, <laughs> I command you by the Jesus that Paul preaches, that, that Paul preaches. And so this is what they would say. See, they didn't have a personal relationship, so they said they've seen Paul do this. And so this Jesus dude that Paul preaches, I command you by his name. Verse 14, seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest, were doing this. The evil spirit announced to them, 
I know Jesus and I recognize Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all, and prevailed against them so that they ran out of the house naked and wounded. So they tried to do what Paul, they looked, they saw what Paul did, they tried to do what he did, but the, the, the word indicates here, doesn't explicitly say it, it indicates here that they didn't make any commitment, they didn't get baptized, they weren't, they didn't have hands laid on, they didn't, um, they weren't filled with the Holy Spirit, you know, and speaking in tongues and prophesying, and so they tried to do what they saw, but they didn't, they didn't accept Jesus as Lord, and so therefore they had no authority. And so they tried to do it, and then the demon said, who are you? I know these other cats, but who are you? And then he kicked their tail, and they ran naked and, and, and afraid out of the house, gone. See, you cannot be um, perpetrating. This has got to be a real thing. You know, it has to be in your core. You go out and try and perpetrate, you're gonna get, you're gonna get handled. Verse 17, when this became known to everybody who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, they became afraid. Well, I would think so. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high esteem. See, these guys tried to use the name of Jesus for their own benefit, and they got, they got abused. And so that became known by all the people, and the name of Jesus was held in high esteem because of it. Verse 18, and many who had become believers came confessing and disclosing their practices, while many of those who had practiced magic uh, collected their books and burned them in front of everyone. So they calculated the value and found it to be about 50,000 pieces of silver. In this way, the word of the Lord spread and prevailed. In other words, everybody who had been involved in the dark arts, in, in, in mysticism and magic, and this, they knew now that this was not... <laughs> cool with God. See, they saw what happened with the sons of Sceva, and they knew the power in the name of Jesus, and they knew they had to come clean. And so he says they came confessing their wrongdoing and disclosing their wicked practices. And while many of those had practiced magic, they collected their magic books and burned them in front of everybody. They're like, we don't want no part of this, or else we're going to get jacked up by this Jesus dude. And so they held Jesus in the power of God obviously in high esteem. The riot in Ephesus. It says, about that time there was a major disturbance about the way, about the Christians. For a person named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, provided a great deal of business for the craftsmen. Artemis was a goddess in, 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 um, in Ephesus. When he had assembled them, as well as the workers engaged in this type of business. He said, men, you know that our prosperity is derived from this business. And he's saying, you know that our prosperity is derived from, we're silversmiths, we're making gods, we're making idols. And he's saying, you know that we, this is how we make our money. And then he's saying, um, you see in here, not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this man Paul has persuaded and misled a considerable number of people by saying that gods made by hand are not gods. They're feeling the economic impact of Paul's effective preaching of the word. See, they're getting less orders. 
They're getting less sales. We don't need these idols. <laughs> and so they're saying this Paul who's misleading people is causing, you know, a recession amongst us. And then he says in verse 27, not only do we run the risk that our business may be discredited, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be despised and her magnificence come to the verge of ruin, uh, the very one all Asia and the world worship. So (laughs) I think it's ironic what they're preaching. They're talking about this goddess Artemis who might come to ruin because of what Paul is preaching. If she's a goddess, how can she come to ruin because of that? But anyway, when they heard this, they were filled with rage and and, and began to cry out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed all together into the amphitheater, dragging along Gaius and this other guy. They were Macedonians who were Paul's traveling companions. Although Paul wanted to go in before the people, the disciples did not let him. So they they uh, they brought a couple of uh, Paul's boys and they dragged them into the theater. And uh, and there was just there was this chaos, you know, going on, shouting and screaming. And, and you know, and it's just so this, the mayor, the city clerk was there and he had to calm the crowd down. He said, people of, of Ephesus, uh, what person is there who doesn't know that the city of Ephesus is the temple guardian of the great Artemis? And so. Uh, the city of Ephesus had this strong tie to this god Artemis, and so they were the temple guardian. And so uh, the mayor is speaking to this crowd, uh, calming them down, and so he gets them calmed down, the fervor dies down, and he dismisses them, and they go back to their homes. So let's go to verse, or excuse me, to chapter 20. And so let's drop down here to verse 7. It says, uh, uh, Eutychus revived at Troas. Eutychus, we'll find out, is a young boy. This is his name. And he's uh, revived at Troas, which is a city, a location, a region. Um, On the first day of the week, we assembled uh, to break bread. Paul spoke to them, and since he was about to depart the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. So Paul is talking all day. (laughs) There were many lamps in the room upstairs where we were assembled, and a young man named Eutychus was sitting on a windowsill, and sank into a deep sleep as Paul kept on talking. <laughs> a lot of our children do this in our in our services, right? The pastor, a priest, a priest, prophet, bishop, whatever is talking, and the kids just fall asleep. So this is what Eutychus did. When he was overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was picked up dead. But Paul went down, bent over him, embraced him, and said, don't be alarmed because he's alive. After going upstairs, breaking the bread and eating, Paul talked a long time until dawn. Then he left. They brought the boy home alive and were greatly comforted. And so uh, this is just an example of part of Paul's ministry. It just, you know, just another thing. Oh, somebody fall, they did. They were dead. The power of God raised them from the dead. And Paul keeps on preaching. Let's drop down here to verse 17. It says, farewell address to the Ephesian elders. Uh, now from uh, Miletos, in, he sent to Ephesus, so he's, he was in Miletos, and he sent to Ephesus and summoned the elders of the church to come to where he was. When they came to him, he said to them, you know, uh, from the first day I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time. He says, I served you, I preached the word. You know that I did not avoid proclaiming to you anything that was profitable or from teaching you, 
uh, publicly and from house to house. I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus. And now I'm on my way to Jerusalem, compelled by the Spirit, not knowing what what I will encounter there. Except that in every town, the Holy Spirit warns me that change and afflictions are awaiting, are awaiting me. But this is, so the Holy Spirit is telling Paul that, look, imprisonment, chains and afflictions and, and pain, that's what your portion is. That's what's ahead of you. And then Paul says, but I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. But I consider my life of no value to myself. How can somebody feel that way and, and, and do things that they know are going to result in their death? There's only one way you can do this. If you know beyond knowing, beyond knowing, beyond knowing that Jesus and what he represents is really real, that's the only way you can go forward with this because you know what it is that you're looking forward to. See, you can't fake yourself out in this. And now I know that none of you among whom I am, and now I know that none of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. Paul is saying, look, I've told you everything I was to tell you. I'm not going to see you again, but I'm, 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 I'm innocent. I have no guilt because I've given you everything because I did not avoid declaring to you the whole plan of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which is purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. So he's saying, watch out for these vultures after I leave, because they're going to come. They're going to try and prey on the flock. They're going to try to pull them away from God. Verse 30, men will rise up even from your own number and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. They will fall into deception. Paul is warning them. This is what's going to happen when I leave. And now I commit to you, and now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold. In every way, I've shown you that it is necessary to help the weak by laboring like this and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, because he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. After he said this, he knelt down and prayed with all of them. There were many tears shed by everyone. They embraced Paul and kissed him, uh, grieving most of all over his statement that they would never see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. So again, I want to backtrack with regard to Paul and his perspective on his life. He's going to Jerusalem. He knows what's awaiting him somewhere down the line. He doesn't know when. But he's unafraid of going to meet his fate because he knows that he knows that he knows the riches and the blessing that await him in eternity. Now, Paul had the advantage of having this encounter with the Lord on the Damascus Road, on the road to Damascus. See, so he had an advantage of this, this, this God encounter. 
God is encountering us, in my opinion, all the time. We just don't recognize it. We don't attribute the things that we come across as God encounters. And when we don't do that, we miss an opportunity to praise him, to glorify him. <sighs> don't withhold the things, even the hard things of the kingdom from people. <clears throat> Salvation is a free gift from God. But it does cost you your life. That's what he's asking for. He's asking for your devotion to him. He's asking for your cooperation with him. You have to allow God to lead you. You have to give him that permission. You have to voluntarily place yourself under his headship. And you have to convince yourself to be obedient to him. So those are the things that you have to do within yourself. And this invitation that goes out from Jesus is consistent until it's not consistent anymore. But right now, we still have the opportunity to confess with our mouths and, and believe in our hearts that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And if, if we believe that, and if, if we confess that, the Word says that we shall be saved. And with that, we are done. Uh, everybody stay safe. Be blessed. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And should he grace us, we'll see you tomorrow in the next episode. Bye-bye.